Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello there, guys. What is going on? Daniel Charles back here again. Morning Blues. Uh, again, we're, we're on the webcam, unfortunately. I'm still trying to... If anyone has any info on how to... The USB cable trying to connect my main camera to my laptop is bugging at the moment, but hopefully you can hear me okay. And uh, yeah, today we're going to be basically reviewing the January transfer window for Chelsea. Um, of course, it ended last night, and I think that the analysis I have seen is one of yeah, some frustration, but also maybe some relief as well on my end and some others. I, it was interesting. Last night, I was on the Chelsea Echo uh, X Twitter space, whatever we call it nowadays, but I was on the spaces. You can find it on my on my account. And we had an interesting conversation. The score, Louis uh, Benevente was on there as well. And we were just kind of discussing um, the transfer window and several things, not only just players that have gone out like Ian Matson and Breuer, but then also the sporting director conundrum and, and how Chelsea now look towards making the upcoming summer a successful one and some of the pitfalls we have we have seen in recent windows. So I, I think that I'm happy that Chelsea haven't gone overboard. That seems to be a general trend. I think one of the big analysis that we can make beyond Chelsea is that clubs will be very hesitant to spend money. I saw a number this morning that basically said that the the spend was about over 800 million in the Premier League last uh, year. And it's now down to its lowest since 2011-12. I mean, that feels like a, not just, you know, a different decade, not just a different time, but a completely different century in football finance, basically. So maybe it's the sign of things to come. Maybe it's just a blip in the, in the massive expenditure. But I'm interested to hear what you think of the January transfer window, because... I, I understand why some people will still look at areas in the squad, striker being the, the number one here, and also maybe left back too, and, 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 and also just look at the general quality of the squad, especially that that is not helped by Wednesday night's atrocious performance at Anfield. And I think that, you know, if Chelsea would have come out of that game looking more respectable, maybe the demand for transfers might have been a little bit less. 
But I haven't, to be honest, despite all of the disappointment in that performance, I haven't seen that translated instantly into we need to sign someone like now. Um, I think people are being quite reasonable and saying, yeah, sure, I, I'm angry about the performance, but like, I don't think that there's anyone we're going to get in that's going to radically change this. So it's, it's a longer term view. Make sure I've got the right one here. If we can get, which one is it? There we go. There we go. Let me, let me get, um, let me, uh, share my screen um just looking at the the Breuer, um deal that happened very late last night i woke up this morning and saw because if you go on your timeline you notice that sometimes you get tweets from like hours ago and i saw that this was one that went i, I may have even not I, I may have even just finished at spaces with uh with score and i noticed that this was going very late this deal so i was a little bit concerned that we were going to get into a situation where he ends up staying because that sometimes can happen. But luckily for Breuer, for Fulham, I think for Chelsea as well, they wanted to get this deal done. It has been done. And Chelsea have sent Armando Breuer out on loan for the rest of the season. Um, you know, I think that my analysis on yesterday's show, I think still is kind of my general analysis. Um, I think for the player's own sake, and when we saw that there is a... I was a little bit worried. Some of the reporting made it seem quite confusing that the incentive from a financial point of view for this loan wasn't that great for Fulham. So if they kept on playing Breuer, they'd have to pay more, which just sounds insane. But actually, Rob Prattley sort of clarified it that and others too, that it, it's a penalty on Fulham, basically. If if Breuer does not meet a, a, a decent level of appearances, then they'll have to pay up to I think three or four million which you know is good it's a good deal for Chelsea hopefully it guarantees Breuer enough football between now and the end of the season under a good coach yeah Fulham maybe haven't been as good as they were last year but given Breuer hasn't set the world alight at Chelsea and you look actually at the table comparably between Chelsea and Fulham there isn't a lot there in points so I think that actually it's probably a decent loan for Armando Breuer from a quality point of view and and hopefully Willian who he did Remember when when he made his debut for Chelsea against Everton, Willian was still a Chelsea player back in March of 2020. So um, hopefully him and Willian can uh, combine a bit and, and Willian can help us out and, and maybe develop Breuer. Now, whether Breuer is a Chelsea player beyond this season, I think is hard to know at the moment. I could see, I think a lot of it is like, we, we see this in transfer so often, it's like a domino effect, right? I think if, if Conor Gallagher for instance, stays at Chelsea, if some other academy graduates stay and Chelsea don't use the the upcoming summer to to try and uh, just basically cash in on all their academy graduates, I think I still believe we're going to be selling some of them. And I think for Breuer's sake, he's kind of been in this position for a while at Chelsea. Even though he's been at Chelsea, I think there's always been this kind of belief that a permanent deal could have come earlier, actually. I felt certain that after Southampton, Chelsea would try and sell him. They nearly did because I think West Ham were in for him. That was the Tuchel summer. That was the takeover summer. It never happened. He stays. It looks like actually he could break into the first team and then he gets a, a season-ending injury. And, and maybe that's an injury that really has derailed what could have been a better Chelsea career. But as I say, for him, and, and it's the basis of any decent loan, needs football, hopefully he gets it. My one concern, I'll stress this again, is is just due to squad depth. But then when I actually think about it in a little bit more reasoned way, we do have Nkunku now back. Cole Palmer can play that role at times. Nicholas Jackson, of course, is now back from AFCON and, and I'd suspect him to play a big role on Sunday against Wolves. And then on top of that, you've also got uh, David Washington and Cesare Cassidy. I mean, I, 
I'd be quite amazed if, if Cassidy plays nine for Chelsea for the rest of the season. I think he's going to play a squad role where he comes off the bench and plays probably a 10 or maybe central midfield role. I, I, but I could understand that maybe in a, in a wild situation, you play him down the middle. So it's not like we have no options. It's just if we're talking about established players, if we're talking about players who you'd, you'd more trust to take that role, despite some of the flaws of Breuer that pe- and people ha- have a sort of frustrations with his game so far. You know, is Washington significantly better? I'm not entirely sure. We have to see a lot more of him. But is it the right environment for Washington? Has he been promoted far too soon into this role where he actually would have benefited from alone again? So th- this is this is you know really uh, something we're going to have to see develop. So for Brewer, I hope he, he scores goals and and will reassess in the summer. Another one here is Andre Santos going on loan to Strasbourg. I found it funny when, and, and I'll get to why I bookmarked this tweet in particular, but I I found it funny Chelsea just like tweeting, he's gone to some French club without sort of disclosing that, well, this is this is not just, just any French club. This is a French club that Chelsea have quite a decent relationship actually kind of own. So it's just, it just made me laugh that they were trying to sort of frame it as we've got this great loan for him. Um, to go over to France to this club who've been willing to take him when actually it, it probably was the last resort to get him football. Really, this tweet is about the multi-club model. Good morning to good morning to Daniel Andrews, a, a fellow Dan in the comments uh, this morning. Um, let's just go, actually, let's go for this comment as well. Phil says, in my opinion, I don't see it as a bad loan deal. This is for Breuer. Hopefully Breuer builds his fitness and confidence. Yeah, I mean, I think for him as a player, I, I, you know, I always sort of distinguish when I'm doing analysis on Chelsea is is between what I think is good for a player and what maybe you know club needs versus player needs. And I think for for the player, he probably was pushing for this loan because he sees the writing on the wall that Pochettino maybe doesn't favour him, and you know the likelihood of him getting significant football rather than just being a body on the bench is not that good. So if I can go to Fulham, which is a decent Premier League side, and get myself week in week out in that starting eleven, my valuation is going to go up, and maybe I get a significant. Uh, move in the summer that gets me that first team football and I can actually properly develop as a footballer so for him yeah and I do like Barrera I think as a striker I think people have been far too rash to write him off um, and that's something that does frustrate me uh, but this is about the multi-club model going back to this from Robin Berner who's a, a journalist and he says racing fans in the comments livid at the deal complaining of being Chelsea's doormat and it's hard to argue with them another club being stripped of its identity and I have to agree I, I don't know how much I've spoken about this on my channel or my podcast I did write a a piece for the CFC fanzine quite a few months ago about multi-club and why my analysis of it is I just don't, I don't see, to me, all I've seen, the benefit of it so far for Chelsea, if if you call it a benefit, is annoying a set of fans in Strasbourg who now feel disconnected to their club. Chelsea fans, those of whom didn't just rush to having a go at Strasbourg fans for complaining. I don't know how it improves my life as a Chelsea fan. I don't know how it improves your life. I don't know how it makes us a better club. And I think, you know, Matisse said this brilliantly when he came on the show recently, where he said, you know, he he believes, and I believe, you know, football clubs are should have their own individual communities and have their own, own individual um, personalities. And this is the problem with the multi-club model is you kind of just become satellite clubs. You just become what do you call it? You just become kind of an arm to a, a bigger corporation, basically. It kind of, you know, when you look at the Man City model, which maybe the clubbers, and I know Bowley has spoken about this before in public, like they herald that, but 
you know, you you look at that and are these just clubs? It, it, there is someone at the top of the food chain always in this case. And it does feel a little bit like a pyramid scheme for me. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just, you know, when I look at, if you look at the City Group website, you have basically Man City at the top and then all these clubs below who are probably never going to get to the level of Man City. And I just, you know, I can understand Strasbourg's frustration. They also lost their first choice goalkeeper right at the end of the window and fans are not happy about that either. So I think all we've achieved in doing is, you know, Chelsea fans themselves are feeling annoyed at the current ownership. I think all we've done is just annoy another set of own, uh, another set of fans about our ownership. So, I mean, maybe that's some success in the sense that we're, we're making a bigger tent for frustration over Chelsea's direction at the moment. But uh, for Santos, let's, let's get to Santos. I mean, I, I think for him, again, base level, hopefully it gets him the football that Angelo has had there this year. I think at a decent level. And it's just about a salvage job, basically, for this season because the Forest loan went so, so poorly that for him, this cannot be seen as just a wasted nine months. And given that he was involved in quite a big part during preseason, I think they would have probably hoped that he would have gone out on loan and, and really gone on a path that would have gained him much, you know, credibility, gained him a lot of Premier League experience, top flight experience. He's going to get that. And I do think France is, is and Liga is a, is a really good place to go in and get that experience, even if he isn't playing for one of the top clubs. So again, I, I always feel like I, I say the same thing over and over again about loans and I, I sound like I'm Michael Owen, but it really is just about those minutes. It's just about those reps because that's the only way these players are going to mature. Um, and I think it's better for some of these players that they're doing it in an environment where they aren't under crazy pressure like they would be under a spotlight at Chelsea. And that's not to denigrate Strasbourg, who their fans obviously care deeply about the club and it will matter to them how he plays. But you know, there is a worldwide um, spotlight that comes onto Chelsea. And I just think it's probably, hopefully a better environment for him. So again, a bit like Breuer, I think it's one re reassess. I think it's more likely, of course, that uh, Andre Santos remains a Chelsea player beyond this year. Uh, I think Breuer is more likely to to make way. And I think Ian Matson is the same at Borussia Dortmund. I wonder if I did... Oh, here, here, here was the thing about Breuer from Absolute Chelsea. This is from Jacob Steinberg, just explaining the loan deal a little bit more is the number of starts Breuer needs to make for Fulham for the free um, to be zero, is, for the fee to be zero is 10. Uh, Breuer also needs a minimum amount of minutes. So there are some concerns. I mean, I, I think again, and I know that I believe it's, uh, is it Bassman? I think it is, who's made this point before. He's got this amazing gif and it's from the Simpsons of Win Stanley. Um, and it's, it's about Bowley and... Iqbali sort of looking down at Homer Simpson sort of like just being stupid and going and, and Todd going I, I don't think he's the negotiator we thought he was and this is a conversation we had on the the Chelsea Echo last night and, and I think it's it's a big one for me and I think it's very relevant because it's not just about transfers I think when we think of sporting directors we just think about transfers but it's how the club is run it's how the club is is managed it's about the day-to-day -day football operations it's about how coaches are appointed, how they're not appointed, what decisions you make, what kind of coach are you wanting to recruit, what kind of style of football are you wanting to implement. And I still think this kind of committee approach is something that still concerns me. And it concerns me heading into the next window, which is what I want to spend the rest of this show talking about. And I'd be interested to hear your thoughts is because I said this in yesterday's show is that I, I think that the next step for Chelsea is to, is to appreciate a balance within this squad. We have spent the majority of that billion on the future 
And it's all right spending for the future. Clubs have to invest in their future, but there's going too far and in being left in a position where suddenly you're you're looking at a squad that doesn't have that much experience that, that could be deemed an under-23 development squad going up to Anfield. And a lot of players don't have the maturity. And unfortunately, some of the more experienced heads in this squad are not leading or maturing those players or there simply isn't enough players within there. You know, I think what we saw from Christopher Nkunku off the bench, you see a player in his prime, a player who is ready-made to make an impact right now, who is hopefully coming into the best years of his career in a Chelsea shirt. That's what you invest. That's why you invest serious money on talent like that. And hopefully, if he... If he does anything like he has when I've seen him in brief cameos, we've got a serious player on our hands. So those are the type of players that you want to invest in. Even though, you know, Casado and Enzo are, they're, they're slightly different in the sense that, yeah, they are future, but they have also played at a decent level. So it's hard to fully categorize them as completely raw in the same way you'd say Mudrik and Madawake are. They have played decent level, but if we call Inkunku that, right? So you've got the balance of prime players, you've got the balance of young players that are developing, and then you've also got your Thiago Silvers. You've got players who are coming to the end of their career. And I think that I come back to, I, I, I think it's a fairer comparison to me because it's closer in in time than, than over or five or even 14, 15. I think it's a fairer comparison to Pochettino in the current club to look at the 1920 squad for reference here. That squad didn't win a Champions League. That squad didn't win a Premier League. That squad had flaws. That squad had things that frustrated us under Frank Lampard. But it was a balanced squad. It was a much more balanced squad than this one because it had the likes of Olivier Giroud, Marcos Alonso, Cesar Azpilicueta, Ringolo Kante, Pedro, Willian. It had players across that team who could play a significant role over the course of a season and would add their levels of, of experience to help the academy graduates that we helped to develop, right? And I think that that's what made that squad in the end effective enough to get over the line and get Champions League football because Frank as much as, and Jody Morris obviously as well in part on the coaching team, part of their great success that season was really birthing and, and developing some brilliant academy players that needed to come through and utilise the, the transfer ban in the best way possible. But then also, I think Frank appreciated as the season went on that he needed to lean on some players. You know, for a lot of the season, Olivier Giroud wasn't used. And then about February, March time, Tammy got injured. The club was struggling for goals. He looks at Olivier Giroud. He gives him minutes and Giroud kind of becomes a star for the rest of the season. But then you also had exciting players coming through, not even academy ones. I mean, that was obviously the Pulisic season. But, the, you know, examples of players in that squad who were starting to to show some quality for the future as well. So I think that all good squads should have a combination of all three. I think the problem is that Chelsea maybe in recent years and especially this season are, it always seems like we have to go one extreme to the next. We either have to be a squad full of players aging and too old to impact the game and we look behind the time compared to our rivals or now it's like we're behind the times but or, or just behind everyone because we've invested too much in young players. So for me, I, I'm looking at the summer and I'm looking at experience, but ready-made. I, I think the main priority should be prime players first, is players that you can bring in and can instantly slot into your first team and your squad to make them stronger now. Maybe there are a couple of older deals that you can do in the, in the summer to bring those wider heads in, but I think that you hope that even if it is bruising at times, the experience that some of these players have gained this season will be valuable to them moving forward. So they would have gained a year of experience, despite what they did previous in their career to, to arriving at Chelsea. They would have gained enough to arrive at Chelsea 
and and get this season and feel better next year. But I think established quality that isn't just a punt for the future and this player could become good in five years, but it's so raw that we don't know what to make of him and it's going to take years for him to potentially become good. No, you want ready-made quality because that's what's going to make a fundamental difference. You know, I think the difference between Chelsea and, say, Man United this year is not only the fact that, as we saw last night with... Uh, is it Manu, isn't it, the, the central midfielder who has come through, been developed from the academy. They trust their academy. That's an historical Man United thing that they've always done. But they've also got just ready-made talent. And, and I think at times they look like a shambolic football team more than Chelsea. But they do have players that are kind of in their prime who can make a difference in, in moments to drag them through. And that's why they're above Chelsea in the Premier League table. I'm not saying that that's always going to be the way it is. I think Chelsea and Man United for the last few years have kind of been on the race to see who can get their act together fastest to kind of make themselves relevant again. But that's, that's for me, it's because you can't play wonderful football all the time. And I think that Chelsea, especially in that first period of the season, were really lacking some killers, some players to just see us through. And also rocky moments away from home. You look at the form away from home, it's been tragic, right? And that's going to be the case for the rest of the season if Chelsea don't sort their act out. But then who... Who in that team is going to go away to Palace that can always be a tricky away game? Who's going away to Man City in a couple of weeks? Who's going away to, I'm trying to think of some of the other away games. We've got to go to the Emirates still. These these away games are are troublesome for Chelsea. There's no there's no two ways about it. They are, they are awkward away games. And Chelsea can't have another situation where we're just going to accept being battered for the rest of the season because, well, they're better than us. I, I want to see a response. I want to see, even if we lose 2-1 to Man City, if we put a respectable performance in it's a lot different to going and getting battered 5-0 and showing absolutely nothing that we could even hurt man city and that because that's when fans look at it and go well there's been no progression it, it, it's, it looks like regression it, it feels a lot like last season and feeling unfortunately as much as i like to look at data i like to look at facts i like to think the feeling and vibes i i don't think um are always the shrewdest way to try and build a club for fans, they do. it does matter. It does matter how you feel about a club, what the pulse of a club feels like. And for those who spend very hard on money and are tired the next day at work because they travel up to Liverpool on, on Wednesday night or they'll go to Man City, they'll go up and down the country. Those 6,000 Chelsea fans are going to be going to Aston Villa, I believe it is, next Wednesday. I know some of them who, even after Wednesday night, are like, no, we're going, we're going to support Chelsea. They want to see an inspirational team. They want to see a team that they believe are going in in some positive direction because it costs so much to support football clubs, especially if you even just going to Stamford Bridge, even having a season ticket and apparently prices are going up next season. And I know we can talk about strategy. We can talk about players here, players there, whether we're playing a back three or a back four, but supporters want to see at least an idea or, or a team that, that they, they feel represents them. Let's go through some of your comments here that unfortunately I haven't got to yet. Um, Shinna here says, might be a crazy idea, but I'd like to change the whole transfer window. Permanent deals can only be done in the summer. However, you could do loan deals for the entire rest of the season. That's an interesting idea. Uh, I, I do like the idea of putting a cap. I feel like Chelsea Youth has made this point before, making a, a putting a cap on certain signings you can make in the summer uh, because then it will force clubs to use their academy a little bit more. Puzzled Life says here, sorry, I'm a bit late, but is there enough time to sign Danny Drinkwater? I mean, I... Maybe, maybe. I, I I saw him on a podcast recently, so maybe Chelsea can still do that deal. Um, or, or himself, if he can find a TARDIS or some kind of time machine, can go back in 2017 and sign himself again. Um, Sack the Supporting Directors, Puzzled Life here says, and hire Frank Lampard. That was something we spoke about last night as well on that spaces. And I love Frank. I think he has good talent ID. I think he had a lot of good ideas at Chelsea, but I don't think 
he's top of my list at the moment. I think getting an experience, it, again, just like we are, if, if we're talking about getting experienced, ready-made players in a first team, we need experienced, ready-made sporting directors who have actually done that specific role at a decent level to come in and make an impact right now. So maybe in the future, um, we'll see. Shinna says, football became a sort of money ball by most of our, uh, the American owners. They simply can't wrap their head around how football really works. Money ball as an idea is not is not awful. Money, I, I mean, it's one of my favorite films. And it's a book you should definitely read. And I think there is a lot of wisdom in Moneyball in the sense of, of what it brought to, to a sport that had had sort of shunned data. And, and in a lot of ways, football, I, I read Expected Goals that Rory Smith wrote. I believe it came out last year. I finished it recently. And I think in some ways that data or data revolution, I, I sometimes think these kind of inventive ideas work when you're up against it as a club. You know, if you're, I said this on the spaces last night, is that I think that our current model feels like a model. And I have, I've said this a lot about Chelsea, is it feels to me a conflict of Chelsea being a massive club, an institution in English football, one of the most successful clubs, one of the most, yeah, it's one of the richest clubs in world football. And, but then treating it like we're kind of a club that have, have very little resources and have to go have to find very inventive ways to compete you know if you were doing this with you know if you go on your fm save and you're using i don't know forest green you're using barrow and you're trying to find inventive ways to find undervalued players and maybe there's a metric you use to to get yourself promoted out of league two or ostersons for instance where graham potter was and and less of that was data a lot more of that was man management but uh, I'm trying to think, I think Mitchelland as well have done some very interesting things with data that is kind of linked to Brentford and, and Brighton. They do interesting things because those clubs had to find a way to find an edge in the game. Chelsea do need to find an edge in the game, but they have a head start on a lot of clubs. And I've said this before, Chelsea as a club, the way Chelsea are perceived can never be seen as kind of this underdog very small club working beyond its means because look at history people unless you can find the men in black pen where i think i've got a pen here that i can use you find the men in black pen and and, and, and you know todd bowley and bed body go go i was gonna look at that camera then but you know go like that um and wipe everyone's memory of the last like 20 years you know chelsea are what they are and i think that as as bmr points out here my uh, money boy is about finding undervalued players and absolutely but if you know the story of Moneyball, if you've watched the film the Oakland days, it was about finding players because they had lost their best players and they'd gone so close. And for them, it was about losing their best players. Basically, in that situation, a sporting director going to basically his owner and saying, can I have more money? No, you can't. We're, we're stretched. Our, our budget is completely stretched. And then getting into a situation where they had to find other ways and other means of competing. Chelsea are not in that situation, unfortunately, um, and I think that this is this is something that Chelsea have to wrestle with because it's very hard for me to look at our strategy, what we're doing with certain players, and then also want to buy Victor Osman. It's like what what route are you going down here? Like, are we trying to find undervalued players, or are we still a team looking to buy superstars? And and the Osman pursuit looks like the old Chelsea. Now, some people may like that. But I, I don't think any of us can sit here and say, well, it doesn't look quite confusing. Like, what what type of club are you trying to build? Now, the merging of those two things could make Chelsea a very good team. But I am still quite concerned of the collateral damage in the long term. 
Um, so, so for me, I, I think between now and the summer, I think also Pochettino plays a massive role in this too. I, I, this is the last thing I want to say is that I think Pochettino as a coach as Graham Potter could have last year, but I think Graham Potter and any coach in that situation was working in very difficult circumstances given the size of that squad. But I think for Pochettino, it's about creating a structure and a base level of a squad that looks like it's performing to a decent level. So then I think you make the summer a lot easier on yourselves. Because if Chelsea get to, I still think the most Chelsea are going to get this season is like 6th or 7th. And some people may even think 6th sounds a little bit ridiculous given what happened on Wednesday night. But I think 6th or 7th is still doable for Chelsea. So then you're back in European football. The need for a bigger squad is relevant. But then also you're hopefully in a position where players are, you, you have a evidence, a whole season to look at for evidence of certain players. And I know, I think it was George Smiley's account, I'd suggest you go and follow on, on X as well, who who looked at certain the current crop of young players who invested in and picked out certain ones like Enzo Fernandez. Was it, no, it wasn't Enzo Fernandez. I think ones he was very sure about was the likes of Malo Gusto, Carl Palmer, players that we have credited, right, and, and believe are going to be good players for Chelsea and have been good buyers. But then it's it's kind of, okay, what are the core out of this group that we can really mould? And these are players that absolutely deserve more time and investment. But then what can you add on top of that to make them better? Now, my concern is Chelsea between now and the end of the season are not going to play that well. And we end up coming to really bad conclusions and we spend way more than we need and we just stockpile more players. So for me, I, I don't think it should be a case of Chelsea. Someone's asked me in the comments there, how many players in and out? I don't think it should be drastic. Now, maybe you're still of the belief that the squad is a little bit too big, but again, you have to factor in Chelsea could by a certain way winning the Carabao Cup final or getting into Europe or winning the FA Cup could find themselves in Europe once again. So you need a bigger squad. Now, I think some of that can be worked out by thinking, actually, let's not send Alfie Gilchrist on loan. Let's use him as a squad player and let's give him six group games where he's going to play and start and play a majority of those games. You've got Cesare Cassidy, you have got Andre Santos, you maybe as well, I even think something like that, if we're going to keep Mudrik and we're not going to loan him out, that uh, European competition like that, I think is perfect for Mudrik where you're guaranteeing him minutes on a regular basis to play and maybe get some confidence up. So you utilise that competition in a way it should be utilised because Chelsea still, I think, with their current group of players would would be favourites in that competition, especially the Conference League. But then I think it should be looking at two to three positions. And I, I absolutely agree with this comment before I wrap up. Not about a bigger squad. It's about a better squad with better depth. And absolutely, it's about quality. It's about quality over quantity. It's about players that are going to make an impact quickly. It's not going to take years for them to develop. It's not going to take a lot of theory and discussion and them looking like rabbit in headlights. And that does come at a premium. But I think in some cases that premium is well spent. Maybe Nkunku proves it. Cole Palmer, maybe. I mean, 40 million in the current market actually isn't that much. To be honest, that looks like a bit of a steal. But premium at times is worth it. It's about identifying the right premium because Chelsea do pay a premium for it feels like pretty much every player and, and that feels like a negotiating problem at the moment is we're paying premium for players who do not deserve to be do not deserve to get a premium. So I'm I'm unsure on how the next period is going to work out, but to conclude here, I think Chelsea have made the smart play in not going rash this this window, but I do wonder if that's because of financial fair play. And I think if they get to the summer and they sell some of our academy players, we may just be back in the same boat of spending too much on players who actually don't suit us. 
And we're back here in 12 months' time trying to clean up the mess. So that's Chelsea. That's that's my thoughts. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've watched live, thank you so much. Like the stream, share it around with friends. If you're listening back on the podcast or watching it back, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great Friday. I'm going to be recording my team selector for the Wolves game, but that probably won't be out until tomorrow because the game is obviously on Sunday. So please have a wonderful Friday. It's nearly the weekend, even though Chelsea did disappoint us this week. And I'll see you again very soon. All the best. Podcast Network.